0: get the meaning behind the numbers, and more. This is TSN Hockey Analytics on TSN 1050,
1: the voice of hockey. Welcome, welcome everybody. Yes, TSN Hockey Analytics, ready to rock and roll on TSN 1050 Toronto. I'm Andy McNamara. You can get me on Twitter at AndyMC81, the show at TSN Analytics, Got a big show for you today in just a couple of moments. We'll kick off as we usually do with Travis Yost from tsn.ca. Following him will be McKean's hockey analyst, Gus Katsaros. Then, from The Athletic, it is Dom Luschishin. And wrapping it all up, of course, with some fantasy hockey talk. NHL.com fantasy writer, James Harding. If you miss any of the show, get us on iTunes. You can subscribe and rate us there, as well as on the TSN 1050ca show page, and we'll also tweet up the links, of course, at TSN Analytics. Well, let's welcome in in the leadoff spot, as per usual, Travis Yost. Travis, how are you, buddy? Yeah, yeah I'm doing good, Andy. How you doing today? Doing good, man. Doing good. Let's let's begin with the Toronto Maple Leafs and all of the William Nylander talk with the contract. Remember last week? It was a, now it's settled. Finally, now we got back in the lineup. Where do you think once he gets his legs underneath him? Where do you think the ideal spot in the Maple Leafs lineup is for William Nylander?
2: Uh, I kind of like him on. Uh, I kind of like him on Matthews' wing. I, I, I think they have now. Now let's let's put this in a little bit of perspective here. Right? There's like eight places you could put William Nylander, just like yeah. there's eight places you could put eight Leafs forwards, and that's kind of the beauty of what Mike Babcock has right now. He's got not at least nine forwards that he can pretty much intermix. Um, In his top nine, and really come out, you know, come out well, regardless of what he does. But I really do like Nylander on Matthews' hip. I I just think that their their playing styles complement each other uh, pretty well. Uh, I I do think you're going to see Nylander move up and down the lineup a little bit, though. I I, I know we saw in his opening game. uh, I think Mike Babcock was a little bit hesitant to use him in the third period. I don't know if that was a conditioning thing, if that was a "hey, he's still shaking the rust off" thing. But you know, one of the things Leafs fans got to keep in mind is. Milander has precisely one game of NHL action this season, whereas his teammates are 25, 30 games into the season. So there's going to be a little bit of a rush-shaking uh, experience for Nylander, but you know, give him five, ten games. I think he's going to be just fine.
1: Well, and I, I wonder, Travis, too, when you have this point in the year where, less after Christmas, guys who've played a lot maybe get dinged up or or wear down a little bit. Nylander has fresh legs, so I, I think this will be potentially, as long as he can get back on track quickly, a huge benefit for the Maple Leafs, where you got a guy who can score a lot of goals who is fresh.
2: Yeah, I, and I think even to your to your point on that theory, I, think about the dividends it might pay when the playoffs come around. right? Absolutely, the fact that Neilander is only going to have fifty five games or so of mileage on him is going to be a lot a lot more valuable than your standard player who just went through a I don't know seventy nine eighty of eighty two game season, um, and he's and he's got you know six different upper and lower body injuries <laughs> they are all bruises, and he's just kind of fighting his way through. Um, I, you know, to, to that end, I think. Uh, I think Toronto, again, they're in a pretty luxurious spot. I, what I am actually curious to see, though, with the Leafs in this, I got a lot of questions, emails, texts uh, about, you know, how how what how much more ridiculous is Toronto's offense going to be with Nylander in situ? And th- this is a tricky question to answer because it's not like William Nylander is displacing a replacement-level player. Uh, Toronto had six or seven guys backfilling You know, roll after roll. And yes, there's going to be a trickle down effect. So, Nylander displaces one winger who displaces another who displaces another. But they were already scoring above three and a half goals per game without William Nylander. And if you think about in the modern era, like what's the best offense we've ever seen? The 09 010 2009 Washington Capitals put up 3.8 goals per game. And then the second best, I believe, is Tampa Bay last year at three and a half. And Toronto's right at that three and a half mark right now. So, they're already touching. What I would consider to be the outer limits of basically extreme goal production, which, more to my point, that's fantastic news if you're a Leafs fan. But I just don't know how much more marginal, how many more marginal goals do you get with Melander in the lineup and every forward moving down one spot.
1: Right, right. Uh, Travis, let's swing over to one of your great articles on TSN.ca where you talked about how the Ottawa Senators have to open up their wallet and pay up for Mark Stone because of the way he changes the team's chances of scoring when he is on the ice. What does he do that makes him such a valuable commodity and and, change, and, and a game-changer, really, for the Sens?
2: Do you remember the knock on Mark Stone when he was coming up out of juniors? It was, man, he, he's a super well-rounded player, but his skating is just not there. So he's going to be a, a, a development or a project, a uh, mini-project for a team to get him into a potential top-six role. Guess what? The skating concern has never really manifested. No. He's, he's an average skater, not a great skater. Yeah. He's an average skater. But he is so solid on both ends of the ice that even with decent skating capabilities, he looks all world when, when he's out there. And I, I, I have to say, I, I think he is, remains probably the league's most underrated defensive forward uh, in the league. You know, we hear, we hear talk all the time about Kopitar and Barkov and Bergeron, and those guys are tremendous. But um, most of them, most of the guys we think of as, as elite Defensive forwards are mostly centers, right? We don't, we don't usually think about wingers as as being as competent as Mark Stone is. And I I think that pays dividends too. Like, not only is he tremendous defensively, but he's looking at, I believe, his fifth consecutive 20 plus goal season. And I think he's consistently averaged about 60 points over the last five seasons. At the end of the day, you put those two together, like Ottawa is a 57% goal team with him on the ice, despite being pretty much terrible. Um, you know, in their bottom six, they're, they're getting consistent offensive production with him out there. And he's one of the few reliable defensive players they have on the team. Put all of that into a box, then put the salary cap up to 83 million next year. I, hmm. I don't, I don't know if Ottawa fans really, he is going to get paid a tremendous amount of money, whether it's from Ottawa or somewhere else. I, I can't see a way that he signs for a dollar less than eight million average annual. And honestly, if you, if you look at some of the salary cap projections that are out there in the market, at least in the public sphere, but you could have some instances in which Mark Stone signs a long-term deal for $8.5 $9 million, million wow. a year. I, and I don't think that is out of the question, with this type of player in the Calgary is.
1: In conversation with Travis Yost from TSN.ca on Twitter, at Travis Yost. Okay, Travis, let's swing over to the Calgary Flames, and you have said on the program they have been one of the uh, most befuddling teams for you to read over the past couple of seasons. And when we talked about them last time, they were uh, playing okay, as of late, though, they've been playing better. They're first in the Pacific. They're starting to get a little bit of separation. As of Saturday, they've won four in a row. Uh, do you have any better read over this Flames team from a, a couple weeks back or, or and, and as far as what you think they can be the rest of the year? Or is this just a, a little mid-season hot flash? No, this is just compounding the question.
2: Yeah. <laughs> because three weeks ago when we talked about this, they're up and down and they're up and down. And that's usually indicative of... You know, we, we talk a lot about streaky players, streaky teams. Usually that's just a code word for they're average. Yeah. And average players and average teams get great results sometimes and not so great results other times. But, you know, Calgary is, to your point, has looked fantastic in the last couple of weeks. Uh, I'm curious how they're going to handle the next week or so. I saw a couple of suspensions come down the line. I, they're not going to have Mark Giordano for that Edmonton game, which is a big loss. Um, but, you know, it, I, I think we were looking more strategically at who is going to take the reins in this specific division? It, it, San Jose just continues to win one, lose one. Um, they're kind of in that, that tweener team. Edmonton is surging a little bit with Ken Hitchcock. I believe they're 5-2-1 in their last eight under him, uh, which, which is good news for Oilers fans. But, again, they, they really haven't created any distance for themselves in that division either. Uh, Anaheim has picked up some wins, but they don't – again, they, I think we have significant concerns about – just uh, the, the the collective of that team and what they can do on the defensive end, they just give up way too many shots. So you look at it, and it's kind of like the absence of information leads you to, oh, maybe Calgary can be the team that emerges from this back. And right now, um, that that they are playing as good of hockey, I would say it's them one, Vegas two, and probably Edmonton three uh, for for the teams that I think are just kind of surging a little bit in that division. Uh, but a lot of it, again, a lot of it with Calgary comes back to the question that it did last year and the year before are they going to get competent goaltending for 70 of the 82 games they play? Because they had way too many stinkers last year where guys were giving up three goals on nine shots, getting the hook, and it was like the game was lost before you even got to the second period. Calgary needs consistent goaltending. If they get consistent goaltending, they have a a skating collection that is probably top 10, top 12 in talent across the league. They are absolutely a playoff team at the skater level. They just need the goaltending to pull their weight.
1: Last one here for you, Travis, the Boston Bruins, man, they're falling hard, falling fast. You look at the standings, they're beneath both the Sabres and the Canadians. Who the heck thought we'd be saying that at this point in the year? But most of their free fall, we can say, is due to health-related issues. Do you think the Bruins have enough to stay afloat in the East while they nurse themselves back to health, or is this going to be a continued slide? Yeah, I think the
2: Bruins are in a little bit of trouble here. Not not because I think the Bruins are as bad as they've played in the last couple weeks, but... You know, we've got to be bay- Bayesian about this, and we have learned over 25 or 30 games that both the Sabres and Canadians, regardless of how you rate them, they are better than what everyone thought in the preseason. Mm-hmm. Now, some, some people might say, still not a playoff team, they're just okay. Some might say they're a playoff team. Regardless, they've, they've effectively stolen points out of that division, and they've created a real playoff race for, the, for that third spot. If you remember when we were doing our preseason discussion, um, we we pretty much talked like Toronto and Tampa Bay were locks for one two in some combination, um, and that Boston was seemed like a lock for three. But if there was a team that was going to be displaced, it would definitely be the Bruins. So we had that right. But I think we were talking about in the context of Florida catching them, and it hasn't been Florida in anyway. And one uh, one of the issues that the, that the Bruins are facing right now, and I and I hate to make it about this again, but uh, when when the Bruins do not have their depth players humming. They, they are a very one-line team, and they are very easily pushed aside. When, when Boston is on their A game, they're getting decent performance down the depth of their lineup, and the Bergeron-Marchand line is just going to absolute work, as they do every game on every team in the league. It's just it's stunning how ineffective the team looks, though, when the rest of the players on the roster really aren't playing all that well. I, I do have to give one shout-out, though, on the Boston point. David Pasternak, unbelievable season again this year. Uh, I I cannot think he is lining up to be potentially one of the two or three best contracts in the NHL. So great job by the Bruins front office in getting him locked up long-term because I think he's at like six and a half, seven million million, $7 million a year, which is ludicrous for a first-line forward. He's established himself as that. Um, But the problem is they need about two or three more David Pasternak if they want to make the playoffs this year.
1: Jeez. It's uh, going to be an interesting ride for them and see how they can or cannot bounce back. Travis, good stuff as always, buddy. Do it again next week. All right, take care, in. All right, there he is, Travis Yost. Check out all his great work on TSN.ca and a must-follow on Twitter, at Travis Yost. We'll step aside after the break. McKean's hockey analyst, Gus Katseros, friend of show, stops by. That's next on TSN Hockey Analytics.
0: Get the meaning behind the numbers and more. You're listening to TSN Hockey Analytics on TSN 1050, the voice of hockey.
1: Welcome back to TSN Hockey Analytics. We creep ever closer to the holidays. I'm Andy McNamara. You can get us on Twitter, the show, at TSN Analytics. Myself, at AndyMC81. If you miss any of the program, you can get it on iTunes. Subscribe and rate us there, as well as on the TSN1050.ca show page. And, of course, we'll tweet out the links from at TSN Analytics. All right, folks. Let's get to it. Let's welcome in regular of the show, friend of show, McKean's hockey analyst, Gus Katsaros. Gus, how's it going, buddy?
3: I'm doing great. Thanks for having me back on.
1: Absolutely. And you know what? Let's go... And begin with the Maple Leafs here. And return of William Nylander, of course, was such big news. Like What, five minutes left before? And it was just a just right, hand-wringing for Leaf fans, but he's back. So before we tackle the on-ice portion of Nylander's return, I want to know what you think of his new six-year deal. Was missing the first few months of the season worth it for Nylander? And can you crown a winner of these negotiations between him and the Leafs?
3: Well, I mean, if we're going to crown an outright winner, then, then that really is just the fans. The fans getting yeah. the, the ability to see Neilander back in the lineup after such a long layoff. Um, the, the reality here is, I think that we've seen a little bit of uh, um, maybe a small chink in the armor from lease management, or to the to the opposite end, um, a little bit of a strong arm in, in order to impose their specific vision. Um, maybe from the player side, we saw. I don't want to use the word improper, but maybe a higher valuation than 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 expected. They both seem to kind of fit in some kind of a middle point, and they ended up doing a, a longer term to get him into the lineup forever and ever. Um, they, they structured it in a way that there's flexibility on the team side in case they want to move the player. There's a little bit of flexibility from the player's side in case there's a lockout coming. Um, so, I mean, the structure is what it is. The fans are finally happy to get Neilander back into uniform. I'm sure that management and the player himself are, are just as happy.
1: For sure. And now let's go to the on-ice product, okay? In his first game Thursday against the Red Wings, didn't play for the last half of the third period as he gets mixed back in. And, you know, you can do as many off-ice workouts as you want. Nothing quite like it, actually in-game real-world action, but in one of your recent pieces on rotoworld.com, you note that it may be hard for Nylander to fend off other wingers pushing for playing time alongside Austin Matthews, and to make things more interesting, Mike Babcock noted Andreas Janssen and Kasperi Kapanen as two of his best players in the game against Detroit, so how much pressure do you think is on Nylander to show that he deserves to get playing time along Austin Matthews?
3: Well, it's kind of interesting because, I mean, let's even go back even further into history. Before the Austin Matthews uh, draft pick, Nealander was expected to become a prime core member of this team. Right. Um, and I feel that it's still kind of the same way, maybe to a lesser degree, simply because of the fact that Mitch Marner uh, emerged as, as a very skilled player, John Tavares acquisition, etc., 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 now, Nylander comes back into the lineup, and when he was in the lineup last year, without any real pressure, he was the de facto right-winger on that first line. Um, if anything went wrong, they might switch every once in a while. But now there's a distinct threat of Kasperi Kep- uh, Kapanen, the way that he's emerged this year, and if he can provide a little bit of competition to push Neilander to make him motivated enough to stay on that first line because at the first sign of trouble there's obviously an option now that they didn't have last season or the seasons before that um now we can move that into power play and last season Neilander was the actual right winger on the 131 and Matthews was on the other side, and they did a phenomenal job making cross-ice cross, uh, cross ice passes, getting goalies moving, and opening up chances for scoring. Well, Marner's in that spot now, and the way that he's performed, there's no way that is going to be able to knock him off that spot. So he's going to be taking a secondary position on the power play. So he's most likely going to lose the spot that he had last season. And he's going to have to fight to maintain to be on that first line. Last season at the, in the playoffs, when things weren't going well, Neilander was moved off that line for Connor Brown. Connor Brown may have been one of the elements that they required in order to get pucks back in order to do what the Leafs do best. But it's nice to have a bit of an option, or at least an offensive option in Kapanen or, Johns, or Johnson um, or anybody else that tends to emerge throughout this roster that would give competition to that first line right wing spot.
1: Well, sure. And it gives you, of course, not just the internal competition and everyone trying to raise their game. But if another injury happens, you already have people that can step in. It's not going to be new for somebody. So you, I think that that depth might be overlooked a little bit, too, huh?
3: Absolutely. That versatility and the flexibility to be able to move players up and down the lineup. And, and you know, I, I think about it from the, from the element of losing the spot on that first line right wing. Um, but let's just say that Babcock, for instance, decides, you know, I need a little bit more balance. Throwing William Nealander on the third line, supposed third line with Nazem Kadri, right. playing with a lesser sense of competition, and I mean they could just terrorize the opposition. Yeah. And I mean there's a lot more flexibility and versatility in there. So there's lots of options that Nealander affords the Leafs in the lineup. He doesn't necessarily have to be Matthews' line, uh, uh, line mate, but I think that he just fits better in the, as Matthews' line mate.
1: In conversation with Gus Katsaros from McKean's Hockey, one of their terrific analysts on Twitter, at CatsHockey. So, Gus, Leafs have been in the conversation as legitimate cup contenders all season long, and their record is backing it up so far. But how much do their chances of doing well in the playoffs do you think actually increase with the return of William Nylander? And, And we just spoke about that a little bit, how you can have that flexibility of moving him and others up and down the lineup and maybe taking advantage of those lesser matchups.
3: So My biggest issue, and it's still an issue, is I still don't see a lot of the things that I felt Boston exploited from Toronto last year in the playoffs. For instance, and I keep going back to this point, the Leafs are the best when they have possession of the puck. If they don't have possession of the puck, then they're essentially useless. They need to find ways to get the puck back. That requires a bit more of a gritty physical game that just isn't in their nature at the moment. Um, and while they can burn you and the record shows that, you know, skills and and Matthews on its own is just a powerhouse to the degree that he can provide offense out of nothing. Um, it's nice to have the balance that the Leafs have now in case they aren't able to get the puck back on those first two lines and in the playoffs. Teams do much more exceptional video analysis. They're able to uh, to get to those, those trouble spots that they know they can exploit from other teams, it's nice to be able to have the offensive power that the Leafs have to move players up and down the lineup. For instance, let's say William Nylander back on that third line. So while the strategy from other teams is to try to keep the puck away from the Leafs, if you start moving down the roster and you have just as skilled players down in your depth that are able to overcome the strategy that the opposition is trying to do from keeping the puck away, then I mean there's, there's, there's a point there where the other team is going to have to now figure out how to handle depth threats rather than just the primary offensive weapons. So Nylander adds another dimension. I still feel that the Leafs need to do something in order to, to generate better opportunities to get pucks back when they don't have it in possession.
1: And, Gus, let's uh, wrap up with some Austin Matthews talk here. And his game-winning goal against the Buffalo Sabres this week, he had two in the game, of course, just it just showcased his speed, the ability to create plays and chances at that speed. But we rarely see Matthews wind up for the big slap shot one-timer, uh, so like, let's say, uh, Alex Ovechkin or Patrick Line. So when it comes to the, the wrist shot or snapshot in today's NHL, is Matthews one of, if not the league's, best shooters?
3: You could actually make a point that he could be you know, even better than just one of the best and the best. Wow. So from a specific spot, it's not just the fact that he's able to kind of get the shot away. He could change the angle subtly. There's subtle slot uh, changes in the blade that will fool a goaltender thinking that it's going in one direction, but in fact it goes in another. Um, the way that he's able to actually do that while in motion, ensuring that his body is straight to the target, his hips are ready, his hands are loaded, it's it's a sight to see. Like, I look at Patrick Liney and the way that he's able to get shots off in a very similar fashion. There's a little bit more of a, a, a rough edges to his game, so I think that Matthews is just a little bit more refined in that. And giving a player the best wrist shot in the NHL, I mean, that that might be very obviously very subjective because to the same degree, William Nylander is able to generate a pretty decent wrist shot himself, so his competition might actually be his line made for one of the better shots in the NHL.
1: Well, hmm. oh, Gus, great stuff as always, man. Thank you for taking the time. Let's uh, do it again real soon.
3: Pleasure is always mine, Andy. Have a great day.
1: All right, you too, brother. That is Gus Katzeros from McKean's Hockey, one of their great analysts, and you can follow him on Twitter at Hockey. Take the break. After that, we will head out to one of the athletic hockey writers and this guy, the, the analytics side. You don't want to miss this. Dom Luschishin joins me next on TSN Hockey Analytics right here on TSN 1050. Rolling along here on TSN Hockey Analytics, TSN 1050 Toronto. I'm Andy McNamara. Make sure you subscribe and rate us on iTunes as well. You can get us on the TSN 1050.ca show page or just go to Twitter. Follow us at TSN Analytics at AndyMC81. and We'll tweet out the links from there. Still to come in the show, we'll have some NHL fantasy hockey talk with James Harding from NHL.com. But first, let's go to the hotline. Dom Luchichin from The Athletic. Dom, welcome back to the show, buddy. How are you? I'm good, how are you? Doing well, and listen, earlier this week in The Athletic, you had a fascinating piece in which you laid out projections for who the top 50 best NHL players will be a few years from now in the 2020-21 season. But before we get to the specifics of the list, I want to get a look at how you, you came up with this and what all went into it. In the piece, you laid out how you calculated each player's score, but you also noted you had some subjective decisions to make to help balance out players who played defense, for example. So what was the toughest part of making this list for you when it came to some of those subjective decisions?
4: Uh, The toughest part really was trying to fit in where the D would go because projecting them that far out, they're generally not as valuable as forwards because there's a lot of uncertainty and you just have a list of like 40 forwards and then maybe (laughs) like a couple D and then five more forwards. It's just a weird quirk with project map far and it just doesn't make for a very interesting list. If it's just forwards and I didn't want to separate them by position either. So just for narrative sense, I put D in where I saw fit in terms of where I guess the tiers were for the certain forwards. And if there was a gap between them, then I'd put a D in, I guess. And it was just sort of my opinion, which I don't usually like doing because I like, doing things objectively but for the sense of this for in this case i sort of had to just because d were not ranked as highly
1: gotcha and when we scroll through the list you see plenty of maple Leafs on it from john Tavares to austin Ma- austin matthews was there a team on this list that had more players representing them than the maple Leafs?
4: no um i think it was the Leafs who were obviously had the biggest representation they had the four on the list they had Anderson as a goalie honorable mention because I didn't have any goalies there and they even had Nylander as an honorable mention as well and there's another team who has the kind of talent that'll be that high that far out there were a couple teams that were close like Winnipeg or Columbus depending on if they can keep Panron and Bobrovsky but aside from those two maybe even the Sabres who have Eichel and Darlene in the top 15 Colorado who has two top six players it's just no one has the quantity, but other teams do have a similar quality, I suppose.
1: Well, and you mentioned Nylander on the honorable mention list. Is there anybody else who you think has the most potential to outperform their projections and actually end up in your top 50 list when we do roll around to 2020?
4: Uh, definitely an interesting question because projecting things this far out means that literally anyone non on the list has a chance of getting <laughs> there that far. Like, I'm sure three years ago... There wouldn't be many, many people who thought that Miko Rantanen could be a top 10 or 20 player, and now he's right. leading the league in points. And so it's just those things that happen that you really can't predict, and this is just a list of what they've shown to date. And if you look at the honorable mentions list, the younger players are guys who definitely can get there, guys like Nylander, like Ehlers, like Besser, um, even a guy like Jack Hughes. Literally anyone who hasn't been drafted yet, because my list didn't have anyone who isn't in the NHL, and that's mainly because it's harder to make projections for people without NHL data. Yeah, And someone like Jack Hughes was really close when I looked at his NHL equivalencies, but still didn't make the cut. But three years from now, I think many of us expect Hughes to be there along with, uh, I think, just other players who will go top three in the, over the next three years because... You see someone like Brady Kachuk who doesn't have the same ceiling as someone like Hughes make the list, and that's because he's just been so good so far in the NHL.
1: Right, and especially, too, for undrafted players. You don't know what team they're going to go to situation, so I get you. That Mm -hmm. that makes a lot of sense. Uh, Mm -hmm. In conversation with the Athletics, Dom Luchichin, so uh, based on your three-year game score projection on this list, the only players that have a higher projected game score than 1.30 is the top three players, Connor McDavid, Nathan McKinnon, and Austin Matthews. How surprised would you be if one of those three guys were not in the top three in 2021?
4: Um... I wouldn't be that surprised. Uh, I think McDavid is a lock. I don't think right. there's anything that'll change that. Um, I think it would be surprising to see Matthews not there, but I think another player can make a case for, for it just because there's so many great players. But even if you just look at the meteoric rise of Mason McKinnon last year and how he went from a okay number one center who never put it together to someone who finally just had everything fit in one season and immediately went to a top five, top three player means that we can't be so sure that these will be the top three because a player maybe outside the top three might do something similar. Maybe some like Jack Eichel starts scoring at a similar pace as McKinnon and figures out his two-way game. Maybe Kucherov continues being the player that he is. Maybe Rantanen continues on his current pace. It's just, it's so difficult to project that far out that, it wouldn't be surprising to have someone different in the top three, but those three currently are so far ahead that it's, pretty safe bet,
1: I think. Yeah, barring any any significant injury, I absolutely agree with you. Uh, Don, that's a really fun article to go through, and I encourage people to check it out uh, on The Athletic there. But let's get back to the Maple Leafs for a second. One question we've asked today, and I wanted to get your thoughts on, was how much did the Maple Leafs' chances of going to the Cup Finals actually increase with William Nylander now back in the lineup? And assuming, of course, you know he gets his legs back underneath him and starts scoring pretty soon.
4: I wrote this, I think, Last week, just before he signed, I had a I had a little blurb in my 31 stats piece because that was something I was interested in as well. Is what is the impact that Neilander brings to the Leafs and their cup chances? Because there was a chance that he wouldn't get signed or to get traded, and I think without him, I had the team's chances around like 15 or 16 percent, and then with him around 19 or 20. So he's probably around a three or four percent swing in terms of winning the actual Stanley Cup right now, um, that can obviously change going forward as other teams progress. But right now, by my model at least, the Leafs look like the team to beat with Nylander in the lineup.
1: Interesting. And uh, one more thing with the uh, the Maple Leafs here. At the end of each game, you assign a report card uh, for each night to each Leafs player. I want to, so without the usual, right? Matthews, Marner, Riley, Tavares, or Anderson, who is the most crucial to the Maple Leafs, to the success of this team. Is it Nylander coming back, or is there somebody else that stands out to you?
4: I think it is Nylander coming back. I understand it's a bit unconventional for a top six for a team to have four forwards and one D, but Nylander is that good that he makes a bigger impact than someone like Gardner or even another center like Kadri, and he's just... I think a lot of people forgot how good he was because he was in the lineup, and Just seeing how much Marner has progressed this year and understanding that Nylander and Marner were neck and neck for their first two seasons should give you a sense of what kind of skill Nylander has and what he might do in a similar position. Maybe if he was on the top power play, I know in the past he scored not at the same rate as Marner, but a similar one, and I don't think it would be a stretch to see him run a power play Um, Not just as effectively, obviously, because Marner is great, but still a very effective top power play. And I think we'll see that on the second unit this year.
1: In conversation with Dom Luchichin from The Athletic. Dom, one more for you here. And all the talk in Toronto about, um, you know, maybe their cup contenders. And really, overall, the idea in general across the NHL that you need a top core Defenseman or a top unit, a one-two punch. I made the case over the summer that the Maple Leafs look to be maybe following more of the Pittsburgh Penguins model of you control possession so much, your forwards have the puck in the opposition zone so much, you can really rely on a stud goaltender and good defense, not great defense, to get by. Do you feel the Leafs have enough power to do it that way or do they still need a true top one defenseman?
4: Well, I, I think they do have a true top one defenseman. That's Riley. It just gets obfuscated a bit because his partner is so bad. And <laughs> he generally faces extremely tough competition that he doesn't get as much credit for his ability. So I think they have that. And I think they have a decent number two in Gardner on their second pair. And Dermott is really good. Their left side is among one of the better left sides in the league. It's the right side that's a big issue. And I think... It wouldn't hurt to add one more piece there. But at the same time, the Leafs have so much firepower up front that they can win games 4-3 instead of 3-2 and be the better four because it's much easier to score goals than it is to prevent goals for a team like the Leafs, and it makes it, I guess, safer because if you're playing in a high-event game and you're the better team, you're more likely to win that game than a game that's low-scoring just because there's more variance in low-scoring games. And there's also the fact that the Leafs have Anderson, who's looking like a top five or top three goalie in the league right now, and that hides a lot of the defense mistakes. And as long as he's playing like a best in candidate and they have that forward group, then I think the Leafs are one of the teams to beat this year. Good
1: stuff, Don. Let's do it again soon. Thanks for having me. All right. Dom Luciuson from The Athletic. You can follow him on Twitter at Dom Luciuson. And that's spelled, if you're wondering, L-U-S-Z-C-Z-Y-S-Z-Y-N. There you go. If you need me to spell it again. Tweet me at AndyMCD1. We'll take the break. Give us some NHL fantasy talk with our guy, our resident NHL.com fantasy expert, James Harding. And if you want any fantasy hockey questions answered, you can tweet them at JHarding_hockey. underscore hockey. That's next to wrap up TSN Hockey Analytics right here on TSN 1050. <laughs> to wrap up TSN Hockey Analytics right here on TSN 1050 Toronto make sure you follow the program on Twitter at TSN Analytics at Andy mc 81 subscribe and rate us on iTunes if you miss any of the show there or just to make sure you get the latest as well as on TSN1050.ca the show page and we'll tweet out the links as well coming up in just a moment will be our nhl.com fantasy writer james harding always does a great job there and i got to remind you folks let's, uh, james and and our fantasy segment is brought to you by three brewers micro brewery restaurants so this is what you got to do it is getting close to holiday time as we know book your office holiday party right now or your family celebration or just out three brewers is cool they have locations across the gta and it's a place where, if you want to get dressed up a little bit, you can go out for a nice meal. But if you want to watch the game, you don't look at a place wearing your jersey and jeans. It's a cool spot, great beer, great food, great times, three brewers, microbrewery restaurants. Let's get to James Harding from NHL.com. James, how's it going, buddy?
0: I am doing well, Andy. How are you doing today?
1: I am doing well, sir, and our listeners are going to be doing better because we know what they want.
0: Let's give it to them.
1: Let's do it, baby. Stock up, stock down. We got it. We don't got it. We don't got it. Well, James, we know what's we know what's what's up. We know what this thing sounds like. There's a car crash at I, the end. I
0: think you know. I think you can do the car crash sound, Andy. I think you can. Stock
1: up. stock down. Oh, just like the start of the segment, a car crash. It's okay. We'll bring it back, baby. We'll bring it back. Give me a stock up. <laughs> Give me two stock up for the weekend in your fantasy hockey league.
0: Yeah, so stock up first for this week. Uh, heading to Detroit right now. Uh, Gustav Nyquist, Uh, he has been on an absolute tear as of late. Uh, Three points in the 5-4 overtime win versus the Maple Leafs on Thursday. Uh, Back-to-back multi-point games, three multi-point games in his past four overall. Ten points, five goals, five assists in his past six games with 21 shots on goal. Just absolutely tearing it up right now for the Red Wings lineup. Skating on the first line there. With Dylan Larkin and Justin Abdelkader, and on the first power play with both Larkin, Abdelkader, and uh, Mike Green and Nick Cronwall up there. Uh, only 33% owned as well in Yahoo Fantasy Leagues right now. So, you know, the, the Red Wings have been a pretty surprising team this year out playing, I think, where a lot of people expected them to be playing, getting a lot of uh, production and uh, players chipping in up and down that lineup. But uh, Larkin and Nyquist really seem to be two of the, the core pieces for that team going forward. And, and I really like the chemistry that they're uh, starting to develop in, in Detroit. So I really like Gustav Nyquist, not just now, but going forward for the rest of the year. And then my second stock up, uh, the recent recipient of a trade from the Pittsburgh Penguins to the Anaheim Ducks. And normally when you get traded away from the Penguins, it's not a great thing. But no. I think for Daniel Sprong, it's actually going to work out. You know, he, he just never seemed to get his footing in Pittsburgh, and I think that with the trade to the Ducks, with all of the injuries that he with that they have to their lineup right now, Sprong is going to get a, an expanded role there, and he's playing right now on the first line with uh, Ryan Getzloff and Pontus Aberg, uh, scored a goal in his first game with the Ducks the other night. Against the Blackhawks, he was skating with Nick Ritchie and Adam Henrique on the second line there. But Ricard Raquel's injury has pushed him up to the first line with Getzlav And I think he has a chance to stay there even after Raquel comes back from his injury. Uh, But one goal, eight shots on goal in two games right now. So I really like Daniel Sprong, the stock up after the trade from the Penguins.
1: Love it. So those are two stock ups. There are a couple stock downs we want to avoid.
0: Yeah, stock down right now, Uh, Brad Marchand from the Boston Bruins. Clearly, he's feeling the loss of Patrice Bergeron in that lineup. He has not been producing very much since Bergeron went down on November 16th. Uh, Marchand only has points in three games since that point, one goal and three assists. And those are his only points in his past 12 games, dating back to the, the final two games that Bergeron played. Before the injury, Uh, he's riding a three-game pointless streak right now and facing a very, very tough Leafs team tonight. So I just don't 100% trust Marchand right now without Bergeron. The Bruins have moved David Krejci up to center that line between Marchand and David Pasternak. So maybe that could inject a little bit into that lineup. I still would trust Marchand, you have to put him in your lineup every night just because of what he's done over the past few seasons. But it, it's becoming increasingly clear that without Patrice Bergeron in that lineup, he is slightly a different player. So I would be a little bit concerned, but you still have to roll him because on any given night, he has the ability to go off for two or three points. Uh, but I'm, I'm wary about Brad Marchand right now. And then my second player is Sergei Bobrovsky. And just what an up-and-down season he yeah, has had for the Blue really? Jackets. Uh, you know, a contract year, so you'd figure he's really trying to get the most out of this season so he could cash in big, but he's allowed three goals on 26 shots in their 4-3 win against the Flyers on Thursday. Three goals or more in four of his past five games, including five against the Detroit Red Wings and eight against the Calgary Flames uh, earlier this week. Eleven nine and 0 with a three point oh four goals against average and a nine oh one save percentage isn't what you really expect from a guy who's been a multiple time Vesna winner. Uh in twenty games this season, nineteen starts. So uh you know, he's very, very matchup dependent right now, uh and I don't fully trust everything that Pabrovsky's giving in the in the Blue Jackets lineup.
1: So that was Stock Up, Stock Down, brought to you by Three Brewers Micro Brewery Restaurants. And you can ask James your fantasy hockey questions on Twitter, at jharding_hockey. underscore hockey. James, let's go to uh, the DFS side, the DraftKings side of things. Because you mentioned, yeah, Pastor Marchand. you want to roll these guys out if you in your league. But in daily, in your DraftKings lineup, you have an option not to. So give me a, a DraftKings sleeper for this Sunday, uh, Saturday and Sunday slate of games. Because there's, there's a whole bunch of games this weekend.
0: Yeah, a whole bunch of games this weekend. Uh, well, just like I, I mentioned, uh, David Krejci there moving up to center Potsernock and Brad Marchand and the Bruins have a back-to-back this weekend against the Leafs and the Ottawa Senators. So he's only $4,100. So I like David Krejci. but also for Sunday, I like, uh, Jahar Kara from the Edmonton Oilers, uh, skating on the second line there with Ryan Nugent Hopkins and Jesse Poya a uh, four game point streak. One goal, four assists, and four shots on goal. That team's been rolling since Ken Hitchcock took over. Uh, so I, I like uh, Kara there for the Oilers tomorrow night on Sunday. Uh, only, uh, you know, he's going to be one of those lower-value players Under
1: $5,000. Perfect. So that's a nice tip for your daily DraftKings lineup. Uh, James, good stuff. I want to hit on it next week because we're out of time. But we're going to talk about next week the fantasy impact William Nylander has to the Leafs lineup. Not just for himself, but the players around him and how the lineup might be impacted that way. So I think that'll be a very interesting topic. So we'll get to that next week. Thanks so much as always, my friend.
0: Sounds great, brother. I'll
1: talk to you soon. All right. Talk to you later. That is James Harding, NHL.com fantasy writer on Twitter at jharding underscore Hockey. So there you go, folks. Sean Lavery, our usual producer, is somewhere over the Pacific Ocean on his way to Australia on a vacation. So thank you to our producer, Aratus Vandy, and Steve Eliopoulos on the board. I'm Andy McNamara. You've been listening to TSN Hockey Analytics on TSN 1050.